0: This episode of the Daily 202 podcast is brought to you by Facebook. At Facebook, we've taken critical steps to prepare for the US elections. We've more than tripled our safety and security teams, implemented five-step ad verification, and launched a new voting information center. Learn more at facebook.com/about/elections. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, August 26th. In today's news, two are dead and another is seriously wounded after a shooting overnight in Kenosha, Wisconsin. The CDC says not all close contacts need to get tested after being exposed to the coronavirus, and Louisiana officials urge residents to flee as Hurricane Laura threatens the Gulf Coast. But first, the big idea. President Trump and the Republican Party placed the powers of the federal government in service to Trump's re-election on Tuesday night, staging pardoning and naturalization ceremonies as part of the GOP's official nominating convention and using the White House Rose Garden for a speech by the First Lady. First Lady Melania Trump's speech was part of a patchwork of themes that also included messages opposing abortion, attacking Democratic nominee Joe Biden as a dangerous radical, highlighting Trump's ties to evangelical Christians, and praising administration efforts to combat the opioid crisis. One of the persistent themes, though, was a mingling, a mingling of government with the Trump campaign, including addresses from two of his adult children taped at a government building and an unusual political endorsement from Secretary of State Mike Pompeo delivered during an official overseas trip. The format bucked traditional norms of diplomacy and launched a House investigation into whether Pompeo has violated the Hatch Act, a federal law that separates government functions from political ones, and a line that Trump and many of his aides have appeared to delight in blurring. Pompeo's address, delivered with the night skyline of Jerusalem behind him, celebrated Trump's relocation of the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to what Pompeo called this City of God— In addition to other well-known speakers like Rand Paul, the Republican senator from Kentucky, Tuesday night's program was aimed in part at highlighting everyday Americans who support Trump. Those included an eighth-generation resident of Swan's Island, Maine, who talked about Trump's assistance to the lobster industry, a Minnesota dairy farmer who praised Trump's trade wars, and a former Planned Parenthood employee from Texas who now opposes abortion. In addition, Trump's son Eric and younger daughter Tiffany were part of a dynastic showcase that will present all of the president's adult children this week. One scheduled convention speaker, Mary Ann Mendoza, a mother whose son was killed in 2014 by a drunk driver living in the United States illegally, was pulled at the last minute from the lineup after she urged her Twitter followers earlier in the day to read through a convoluted, anti-Semitic conspiracy theory thread about what she said was a Jewish plot to control the world. The president made an unadvertised appearance less than 15 minutes into the broadcast, where he signed a pardon for John Pounder, a convicted criminal who turned his life around with the help of a former FBI agent. The two men appeared alongside Trump at the White House as he signed the pardon. The segment highlighted this president's record of issuing pardons to people with whom he has forged a direct connection. Trump has almost entirely bypassed the traditional pardon system in which convicted people appeal to the Justice Department. He's also pardoned the politically well-connected. Trump made a second unadvertised appearance later in the program to preside over a naturalization ceremony for five immigrants, which also featured acting Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf. It's the first time someone leading the Department of Homeland Security has appeared at a political convention. Speaking at the White House, Trump praised the three women and two men from all corners of the globe for their perseverance. Hail to the chief played when he came into the room and there were uniformed Marines. Many immigrants found the display galling because Trump has cracked down not just on illegal but also legal immigration over the past three and a half years. And right now, more than 110,000 people who have been approved for U.S. citizenship have not been able to have their naturalization ceremonies because they've been canceled since March due to the coronavirus and the government has declined to allow virtual swearing-ins. That means that almost all of those 110,000 people will not be able to vote in this November election because they need to have the ceremony before they're eligible to register. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one. Two people died and one was seriously wounded in a shooting during protests for a third night in a row in Kenosha, Wisconsin. A confrontation between protesters and armed men who said they were protecting a gas station turned deadly. Kenosha County Sheriff David Beth says police are searching for a man seen in video footage holding a long gun. Shots were fired about 11.45 p.m. Central Time. After the first shots, a young white man carrying a rifle began running north on Sheridan Road, away from a crowd of protesters. Video shows the armed man fall to the ground and then fire multiple rounds into the crowd. Two more people fell to the ground, one shot in the arm and the other in the chest, according to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. The sheriff told the New York Times that investigators are looking into the armed men in front of the gas station who were recorded before the shooting arguing with protesters. One of the men who was holding one of the guns, had told a Washington Post reporter who was there earlier in the evening that they were there to stop people from breaking into local businesses, noting that he had seen rumors online about pipe bombs being used. The armed man who talked to our reporter on the ground was wearing a red checkered shirt but declined to give his name. But he said if the cops aren't going to stop them from throwing pipe bombs on innocent civilians, someone has to. Again, There's no indication that any pipe bombs were involved in the unrest. And meanwhile, Jacob Blake's family called for peace in the streets, as well as the arrest of the officers who shot him. Anger-fueled protests radiated across the entire nation again last night as the family of the 29-year-old black man shot in the back by officers demanded swift action. Julia Jackson, Jacob's mother, asked for Americans to show how humans are supposed to treat each other. But the family also pinned responsibility for Blake's grievous injuries on what they call a racist law enforcement system that brutalizes black people. And they expressed dismay that his shooter has not yet been fired or charged. They spoke as Blake, who was shot at least seven times, underwent emergency surgery. The shooting has left the father of five young children, three of whom witnessed the incident, paralyzed from the waist down. And more than 48 hours after he was shot, Trump has yet to address the incident, but speakers at the Republican convention this week have repeatedly invoked burning cities, blaming Democrats for allegedly letting mobs run rampant. By contrast, Joe Biden is calling for a thorough and independent investigation of the shooting while offering sympathy for the grief and outrage that yet another black American is a victim of excessive force. The violence has prompted Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers, a Democrat, to declare a state of emergency a day after he called in the National Guard to protect high-profile sites in Kenosha. Other cities also saw protests across the country from Los Angeles to New York. Yesterday, in describing what was happening in Kenosha, I also made a mistake. I described Michael Bell Jr., who was fatally shot by police in Kenosha in 2004 as African-American. He was white. His death led to the passage of a law in Wisconsin that requires the state to investigate all officer-involved shootings. I regret that error. Number two, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention revised its guidance for coronavirus testing yesterday and now says that many people who have been exposed to the virus by being in close contact with someone who later tested positive do not necessarily need a test if they're not experiencing symptoms. This comes as America surpasses more than 175,000 confirmed COVID deaths and more than 5.7 million confirmed cases. Many experts are expressing concern about the changed CDC guidance, noting that people without symptoms are responsible for about half of all transmissions. The CDC's new guidance still recommends that vulnerable close contacts get tested after potential exposure, which is defined as being within six feet of an infected person for at least 15 minutes. Meanwhile, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services announced that they will, for the first time, require regular coronavirus testing of nursing home staff, Employees of nursing homes are thought to have played a pivotal role in inadvertently introducing the virus to nursing homes where it's spread like wildfire among residents. More than 40,000 of our fellow Americans who have died of COVID died in nursing homes. Fast tests are becoming increasingly available with more than 5,500 point-of-care test kits already shipped out to nursing homes across the country. And down in Jamaica, Olympic gold medalist Usain Bolt announced that he has tested positive for the virus after attending his own birthday party. In a video posted on social media, Bolt says he wasn't showing any symptoms and is now quarantining. The fastest man alive was captured on video dancing with others without wearing a mask or socially distancing during his party. Other pro athletes were there too, including Manchester City star Raheem Sterling, who's now awaiting test results before the next English Premier League season begins. And Jamaica's prime minister says authorities are investigating Bolt for throwing the party, which was likely not authorized. Number three, southwest Louisiana officials are pleading with residents to flee as Hurricane Laura looks like it's going to hit the Gulf Coast pretty hard. Officials across eastern Texas and western Louisiana have issued mandatory evacuation orders as Laura strengthens in the Gulf of Mexico and threatens to pummel the U.S. coast Perhaps she will be the strongest storm to take aim at the region since 2005. Laura is expected to make landfall somewhere between Galveston and the Lake Charles area just across the Louisiana border, with predicted storm tracks indicating that Port Arthur, Texas could take the brunt of extremely high winds and heavy rains as the hurricane batters the coast. Forecasts call for Laura to hit the area sometime overnight, Wednesday into Thursday, potentially as a Category 3 with sustained and devastating winds above 115 miles an hour. The projected wind speeds and storm surge pushed officials to switch the order from voluntary to mandatory. Florida has used a strategy for years. They call it run from the water, hide from the wind. And that's now what Louisiana officials are asking people to do. And in California, the lead firefighting agency is in talks with the National Guard about getting reinforcements. Lightning-sparked fires that have grown to among the largest in state history have pushed firefighters to the breaking point, as they also deal with complications from the pandemic, which have depleted crews of inmates from the jails who normally help fight the fires. Historically, it is September and October when the Golden State experiences her largest and most damaging wildfires. So to be in the middle of August and already have the second and third largest wildfires in state history is very concerning for forestry officials. For now, cooler temperatures are helping firefighters begin to corral the three huge clusters of fires that ignited 11 days ago. These blazes have killed at least seven people, burned nearly 1,300 homes, and prompted evacuation orders that still affect an estimated 170,000 Californians. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, August 26th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Homan. Stay safe. This episode of the Daily 202 Podcast is brought to you by Facebook. At Facebook, we've taken critical steps to prepare for the U.S. elections. We've more than tripled our safety and security teams, implemented five-step ad verification, and launched a new voting information center. Learn more at facebook.com about elections.